Mike, turn your games down. Hi, right, welcome to another interview episode of Games My Mom Found. I am Mike Culberton, and who's with me tonight? Uh, that would be me. I'm Glenn Dahlgren. I am a computer game designer from way back, <laughs> and I am an author of YA Epic Fantasy. Okay. I didn't know they were young adults. I was looking. I was looking at the books after we met. I was looking them up <laughs> a little bit. I actually didn't intend for them to be young adult. It kind of sort of happened that way. My main character was sort of in that age range, and so were the people he surrounded himself with. But my first one is you know, a little bit dark. Worried about putting that young adult label on it, but it seems like. But but it actually won the uh, gold medal for reader's favorite young adult epic fantasy. And so I guess they agreed, too, that it's young adult. <laughs> oh, what book was that that got published first? What's that? What was your first book? That was uh, Child of Chaos. Okay. Um, it was the first book. It, was, it took me 20 years to write because I wrote it. I started it right after Wheel of Time shipped. And, and, it, and I was still full-time making games. And so that didn't leave me with a lot of time to write. So, you know, here and there, I kept working at it until a couple of years ago, I finally finished it up. And now my rate is a lot better. Um, I released another book called Game of War about a year after that one, and I'm about to release my newest book called House of Prophecy about a year after that one. So I'm hoping to keep to about a book a year. That's pretty good, though. I mean, it just seems like a good pace. I mean, you're not, I know, like, I think what Brandon Sanderson wrote, like, three or four giant books in two years or something. Uh, well, actually, he <laughs> says a book a year is about right, but dang, I, I don't know where, how he did that. But the truth is, for indies, writing like a lot of books in a short period of time is kind of what they're all about. There is a group called um, uh, 20 books to 50 K, which is about, you need to write 20 books to get to $50,000 a year. And that's not, you know, you're not a, a hit writer or anything. You're just writing books to a particular audience. And I can't, I can't do that. I just, there's no way I can't write a book a month. No, I mean, that's, that's a lot. I mean, my books, you know, I, I am what first one took me 20 years. I think about these things more. <laughs> You know, they've got some ideas in them that need to sort of, you know, marinate for a while. I, I can't just sort of throw them out there. And and that's fine. I mean, it, there are people who can do that. It's just not me. Oh, it's got to be epic to, to write that many books in a short amount of time. Oh, I, I don't get it. Uh, people who have sort of broken that code, I think most of them dictate. And then I guess they just send it to an editor to sort of clean up. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And, and I guess on like Kindle Unlimited, Kindle Unlimited, you know, you're paid by page reads. So if people are there and they're just consuming everything that you're doing all the time, you know, that you can make a living doing that. Hmm, that's pretty cool. When I was younger, I wanted to be an author, but that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> so I, I became a father at 19. So that all I used to write, all I did was read and write all day, every day. And then I got it. And then my girlfriend got pregnant. So that was the end of that. I had to go get a job. <laughs> but Children change your life. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, also a lot of young adult books can get pretty dark. I mean, you look at, would you consider Lord of the Rings young adult? Or I guess that's more adult, considering when no, you really did. No, young Lord of the Rings, I think, uh, yeah, certainly Harry Potter. Um, Which is pretty I dark. mean, there were, there were, yeah, and it definitely got <laughs> dark. But those were young adult before young adult was a thing. They didn't create the genre until enough, enough books had come out that they really wanted to categorize them. Because I think there was like middle grade and chapter books. Young adult really wasn't a thing. But now there's young adult, there's new adult, there's... All kinds of interesting categories that, I, you know, it's it's weird. It's And nobody really agrees on what specific things make a book 
in the put a book in those categories. How to feel something's not super violent, maybe. Like I'm trying to think of the one series that oh god, I Terry Pratchett. I can't remember his series though. That's like huge. Oh, that's the Discworld stuff. Yes, I read I read the first one of that series, but I don't know if I I'm, I don't know if that's considered young adult because I remember that first book being very violent. <laughs> what i remember honestly violence is not a problem okay um sex is a problem and swearing is a problem but violence often isn't (laughs) graphic depictions of violence can be a problem but actually terry pratchett specifically has two different lines he wrote some books specifically for young adult and some specifically not okay in the same world i haven't read his books in a while i read the first one of his series a long time ago and i remember really enjoying it He's one of my favorite authors. I've read everything that I could find. I unfortunately don't. I don't read much anymore, unfortunately. I was just reading The Hobbit a couple of weeks ago. I started reading that again, and, I'm, and I, just, I just fell in love with that book all over again. That's the thing about well, a good I book. A good bo- I, goes I have a suggestion for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one reason that I, I contacted you is I found out that you were the producer or lead. Dis- what was your ti- uh, You worked on the Wheel of Time game back in 1999. Yeah, I was the sort of I think creative director which okay. was the designer plus producer plus sort of creative lead on that project. So I was the one who sort of came up with the idea, um, fought to get Jordan on board, fought to get a publisher on board, fought to get a team together to make that game, and then made that game with the team. Okay. I, I mean, I couldn't believe that there was, because I actually had found, I had found out this game existed back in 2000, I want to say maybe like 15 or so when I was very broke and, pirating old games at that time <laughs> and i randomly came across this on one of those abandoned wear websites i'm like what is this but i couldn't get it to run i tried and i just i couldn't get it to run and i forgot it existed it wasn't until a few weeks ago when i saw your post that the wheel of time game got re-released on gog that i was like okay now i have to and i went and bought it and tried it out but it was just i couldn't believe there's a wheel of time game because it's a book yeah. series that i feel like wasn't as well known as it should be in my well, so yeah, you're you're not alone in <laughs> not knowing that the Wheel of Time existed, and part of that is because it was released into the teeth of a few different things. Quake Three Arena just came out. Unreal Tournament came out at the same time, and specifically, Unreal Tournament was a problem because GT was the same publisher for Wheel of Time, and they were in financial problems. They were having difficulties, and so they couldn't actively market both games. And Unreal Tournament was the safer bet. So they put yeah. all of their money into pushing on their tournament. Wheel of Time got sort of got the short shrift there. Wheel of Time did pretty well. Given that, it was well-reviewed. People seemed to love it. It got a, a ton of awards. I actually have some of them around here, but there's no video, so. <laughs> good. Yeah, it's just audio. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it did well, and it was well-received, but it never really sort of entered the collective consciousness of the game-playing public. But enough people connected with it, especially uh, some of the book fans, that it stuck around. People were still playing it up until the moment that GOG released the new version. And in fact, GOG released it, I think, kind of underestimating how people, how much people really wanted to play multiplayer. Because I think one of the reasons people are still playing it, you know, it's not the single player story. <laughs> and that's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But that's a long time to play a single player story. It's 20 years. Yeah, that so, is. <laughs> The, the people out there wanted to play multiplayer, but GOG didn't didn't uh, set up a master server. And so they said, the only way you can play multiplayer is through LAN. And the, the community wanted none of that. And so I've been working with the community and with GOG and with the uh, the EP, the, the rights holder, and Night Dive Studios 
And now we're setting it up so that there is a master server and that people can play online and the community is just ecstatic cool. about the idea of new blood. I just I love seeing old older games that might have gotten lost to time being resurrected in, in an official way so people can enjoy it. Like, I mean, I'm a person that if something doesn't exist, I'll get a hold of it other ways. But I'm always glad when something is publicly available in a way to buy it, especially like for this for 10 bucks. I mean, I went and picked it up when it was on sale because I wanted to I wanted to own it. I wanted to officially be able to play it. And I have no problem well, with that. Not, it's not just that. It's the fact that GOG especially is taking these old titles and making it so that it's just seamless. You know, you don't yeah. have to worry about going and getting all the patches and figuring out <laughs> how to make it work on modern hardware. And it was it was a challenge. I mean, you you said you tried making it work and it and it didn't. Couldn't do it. There were ways to do it, but it was it, it, t- it took some gymnastics to, to get there. And, and I could run World of Warcraft, so I could run stuff. It just I couldn't get yeah. it to run. No, that's right. That's absolutely right. Um, and but Wheel of Time, like a lot of the other games from Legends, like Deathgate and and a few others, they wanted. There are people out there with the rights to those games. They purchased them from Atari, who had it because they owned uh, Legend. But they couldn't. They tried to release um, Deathgate, and then a week later it came down, and that was because um, they didn't have the book rights. Because oh. a large a large number of our titles were based on literary licenses. And so Wheel of Time kind of stayed in this limbo where, yeah, people really wanted to play it. People wanted to get it out there, but they couldn't because the Wheel of Time license had been, you know, who knows where that was. Well, turns out it was with the people who were making the TV show. And the people who were making the TV show really wanted to see the game out, too, along with releasing the TV show. And so actually I was doing an interview with the Dusty Wheel. And which is a, a Wheel of Time based, you know, it wasn't about games. It was just about the, the license. It was about okay. um, the books. Uh, I was doing an interview with them. And then I get a notice after I was done that the EP on the TV show wanted to talk to me. And this <laughs> is what he wanted to talk to me about. He wanted to you know, find out if I had some uh, technical people on uh, uh, the names of some of the people who worked on the title. So maybe we could help get the game out, yeah, perhaps uh, promote it once it finally got out. And I was, I was all in. I mean, I am not... I'm not being compensated for real time anymore, not for a long time, but <laughs> yeah. the fact that there are new people out there able to play the game is just awesome. So all of those things came together, um, GOG and Night Dive and um, the rights holders and me, I guess, um, we and the community all got together and finally made this launch possible. And that's just awesome. I only played about an hour of it so far, but I plan to dive more into it. I got my ass handed to me by some of the early Trollocs. So I just kind of, well, I, yeah. when every time I play games, I have an infinite ammo weapon. I'm going to use the infinite ammo, but that weapon is not very useful <laughs> when you're trying no, to fight. That, that is not your, that is not what you should be doing. <laughs> I figured that out pretty quick when I got, I'll start to get my ass handed to me. I'm like, okay, but I, I haven't, I'm going to get back to it. But it, it was just to me to, to see, cause I, I was introduced to wheel of time series back in when I was in high school. So early 2000, somebody was a friend of mine was reading dragon reborn. And I love dragon. I'm like, oh, it's about a dragon, which it's not. <laughs> I mean, there are no dragons. But <laughs> I remember that. That's what got my attention was the, the cover. And I had later on dug into the series. I have read the whole series once, and I read most of it a second time before I just fell off. You are a fan. <laughs> I used to own most of them in hardcover, but when I moved, I sold a bunch of them, and I regret it. Because I was, uh, I, I regret it a lot, but I didn't have a room. I needed money. But there, yeah, I, I, I was a big fan of the series. I still really like the series. And just the fact that to meet someone, I meet very few people that have read that series that I that are book fans. Like most people don't know what Wheel of Time is. I feel that I ran into at least. I might I not run into people that are book fans as much. Well, certainly back then, 
well, when I was making the game, it was the second biggest fantasy series out there. And the first was Shannara. And we got that one, too. Oh, which series? Shannara, Sword of Shannara, the Terry Brooks book. Um, okay. Almost. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's definitely got a following. I mean, it had a huge enough following that they made a TV show about it. I, don't, I couldn't believe the show actually finally happened. I was really surprised. Mm-hmm. I was happy. I haven't watched it yet for some reason. You know, I have Amazon Prime, but I'm happy it exists. I mean, I guess for me, like, I have a certain way that I picture all these characters. I have a certain way that, like, I, and it's not, I don't know if I want to see it in live action or not. Well, that's, you know, that's pretty aware of you. I'm, I'm uh, impressed because, so I've dealt with a lot of licenses. You know, I've dealt with Wheel of Time. I've dealt with Star Trek. I've dealt with Glee. And each one has very, very rabid fan base. They know what they want, what they like and what they don't like. They know how they picture things. They know sort of, and a lot of them know what they want out of a game. And it's not necessarily what I'm going to deliver to them. <laughs> so the fact that you are, you know, not watching the show because you know it's not necessarily going to meet up with what you what you uh, think in your head, you should do that unless you're willing to be open-minded to the vision of the creator. Uh, I will at some point, and I'm sure I'll just enjoy it just because I'm just happy it exists. It actually made me want to go read the books, but as much as I love <laughs> it, it made me want to go re-pick up Eye of the World. I really like Eye of the World, even though I like, it's a book where I've read it three times at this point i still have no idea whatever's going on in the end when he gets to he gets to that place where he takes like the one power itself and uses it against the forsaken i know we're getting kind of deep into you know a wheel of time but i've always gotten so confused with that part for some reason it just i know people are like well he just goes there and he has the, you know he uses it just for some reason my brain just i've ever been so confused when i read it yeah you should you should uh see the series and see how they dealt with that it's, it it's very interesting because my, yeah, i had a friend of mine who different talking about it and yeah you tell me it's not the same and i'm like that's okay i don't really remember it as well so <laughs> the thing about the wheel of time books like i remember i had the first i had eye of the world in paperback and i think i had to buy it like five times because <laughs> it kept breaking it was so big that the Huge. binding couldn't hold and i used it a lot obviously i was researching and i you know i needed to to keep referring back to it and I, it would just fall apart how many books were published for wheel of time at the time you guys are working on this game I want to say like six, but I don't really remember. Okay. I know I could probably just look that up, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know it was later in the series. Cause I, I, I got into it when book nine winter spring had just came out. I mm. think. Cause I remember reading winter spring at some point, And I know there was a huge hiatus. Cause then unfortunately Robert Jordan had passed away too. And then it was a few years before it got picked back up and then finished. Right. Which it has a, but it was just, it's just, to, just to find out that there was a game based on this book series just kind of blew me away the first time I couldn't, I was really surprised. Cause I, I unfortunately didn't play a lot of PC games growing up. I played a few in the in the 90s, but I was mostly a console gamer. I was not I wasn't good at getting PCs to run, so I stayed away from them. But the only PC game I really played was uh, Sid Meier's Magic the Gathering Chandelier, made by Microprose. You, you <laughs> so I played that too. I played it because I, I was really into year. Magic. Yes, and every year and I this was <laughs> that was one of the places that I could play Magic against an AI at the time. And uh, and I kind of enjoyed that, but the game itself was pretty clunky. Yeah, I, I love it though. I, I know the entire game by heart. Like I know every card they draw, they play. I don't need to read anything. It's just one of those games that's just in my head at this point. So every year I pick it up. You can't it was buy a it, huge. Actually, Magic was such a huge influence on me. That and Doom at the time. Those became the combination of that experience became Wheel of Time. That was the inspiration for that for the multiplayer for Wheel of Time. Okay. It is a first-person shooter with the strategic choices of playing a, a magic card. Because I was playing a little bit of the game. Like, I know in, in the beginning of the Wheel of Time game, you went to... 
you went to the shitty uh, city Shutter Lagoth or Lagoth. Shutter Lagoth is okay. The way I say it. It's, yeah, okay. I mean, I always read it. I never heard it out loud. So I'm yeah. like, wait a second, trying to say these words. And like the fact that you got to go there kind of was like really cool to me because it reminded me of. If I remember correctly, that's where the villain in the second book, Run, Pad and Fane, runs through. Mm-hmm. God, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, for me too. Yeah. But just the fact that it it exists, I mean, like one day I'm going to sit down and play it, but it just, it made me excited to know that like, the show is out, like your game is out and knowing that it's now going to interact with more people are going to know what Wheel of Time is. Just, just is a really exciting feeling to me. I love when old media comes back, as I was saying before, but also like with your Wheel of Time game, like I still felt like everything, it, it played fine. Like as I was trying it, I haven't played a lot of early first person shooters or not, well, of that time, that era, not PC. My mind was Goldeneye, but like the way you can change your your spells, I thought was pretty cool too. And and you're actually playing characters from the store from the book because you're playing the um, right. Isn't Elena? From yes the book? and no. You're playing characters that are from the world okay. um, because when I was originally going to design an adventure game based on Wheel of Time that used characters from his world, and he didn't like that. Jordan oh. didn't like that, <laughs> and so we ended up coming to an agreement where this would be a its own story as a prequel uh, to the first book, and so it was sort of monumental dealt with all of the the seals and you know potentially uh, people getting control of the seals who would release the dark one but it was all all happened before the the books ever started so i have characters that are kind of like some of the characters that are in the books but they're their own thing okay it wasn't the same amarillion seat then is a different character the one from the okay see it's been so long that when i heard the name i thought it was the same character that was the right hand (laughs) of (laughs) so elena was Elaine is the main character from this, from Wheel of Time, the game. And it is my own little inside joke because it seemed to be so many like Elaine's, yeah. you know, uh, names like that in Wheel of Time. So I was like, fine, I'm just going to, I'm going <laughs> to riff on that. Feels very Wheel of Time to me. I really thought it was the, because I, I could have swore there was someone who's green on jaw who worked under, who was under the Amarillion seat that had a name with an A or Elaine, Elaine something it of that nature. A, it's Amarillion seat, by the way. Okay. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you never hear it, and you're just reading yep. And you don't talk to many people about the series? It's also Aes Sedai. Someone said that they heard that pronounced for like the first time in the in the TV show. And they okay. were uh, just learning that. Yeah, Aes Sedai. Okay, I don't, I'm not even sure how I would have pronounced it. <laughs> it's been so long. And I'm assuming your game didn't have any of the song, the, the song chan or not in this, I'm assuming? No. Okay. Yeah, I feel we that had four... Basically, it was kind of designed to be a multiplayer experience. Um, to, okay. The single player led to a multiplayer experience, which is Citadel. And I wanted four different factions. And so I kind of pulled factions from the world. One was actually the only character from the books, uh, which is uh, the Forsaken. And then one, then a White Cloak, which he was a new character, but the, the, obviously the faction is still there. The Aes Sedai, and then the Hound. And the Hound is kind of a Hayden Fane inspired character he actually represents the evil from shadow logoth okay so i had like four different you know all diametrically opposed you know they all have their own agendas and they're all kind of all against each other so they're all going after the seals and that's sort of what citadel was all about okay god it's been it's like so much i I remember bits and pieces of the series (laughs) so it's kind of interesting hearing all of it again how long did you work in the gaming industry for oh geez Um, (laughs) like 30 years, maybe. I mean, I still occasionally do some uh, some freelance work, so I'm, I'm not done. But okay. I started in high school with games for the Tandy Color Computer, mostly adventure games. Uh, and then I started my own company in in college called Sundog Systems. And actually, if you can see in the video, there's no video on the 
scenery, but if you can see over my head, that is an ad for Sundog Systems. I think it was the last inside front cover ad that I did in the last magazine for that computer, which is Rainbow Magazine. And so at the end of its life cycle, I had out of my dorm room, the largest, most, the premier game software company for the color company. (laughs) And, uh, And I continued that while I was in Legend, but eventually it kind of went went away and so i focused all of my efforts in, in legend so i've been making games forever and that's impressive though you know to be able to follow a passion of any sort well yeah when i when i um graduated penn state psu i thought i was going to be doing comp sci in fact i had an awesome offer to go to Bellcore, which is bell labs research okay. um and they were like you know one of the top companies at the time um, for computer science. They were actually going to pay me to go to grad school and give me half salary while I was there. I mean, that's like, that's awesome. How can that's you turn down something? But I just couldn't bring myself to like design operating systems for the rest of my life. I mean, that's not, clearly not <laughs> where I had my passion. So I picked up the program for the Computer Game Developers Conference. I think it had only had a couple of years of running, but it was big enough now that they had a program. And in the back of the program, they had like 50 companies that attended. And I wrote or called every single one of those companies and asked if they could give me a job. And one of them was on the East Coast, and that was Legend. And they offered me a job as a programmer, and so I signed up. So it was like, I didn't even know if you could make a a living. And at that time, it wasn't sort of, you know, you couldn't assume (laughs) that you could do a living games. But I found a company willing to pay me to do it. So I figured, why not? I'll roll the dice. Let's see how this goes, because I really, really wanted to make games. That's what sometimes the best things in life happen is when you just take a leap of faith. You know, yeah. and that's what's happened for me. And personally, I've had things go well just by taking a leap of faith in something and finding it working out well. And I see that's that the, the last game you worked on was Unreal 2, The Awakening. Well, that wasn't the last game I worked on, but that was okay. one of them. Okay, that's um, just... I never... So, I actually... Had, I own that game. I never played it, but I bought it for a regular Xbox. Yeah, the reason that that Epic wanted us to do that is because of Wheel of Time. They were so impressed with our work on Wheel of Time that they said, you know, let's give you our flagship title, which is Unreal. You can do a, a sequel to that while we're off sort of uh, moving more into multiplayer, you know, the Unreal Tournament series, Unreal Championship, and, and that. that's what they wanted to focus on. They wanted to give us the storytelling part because that's what Legend was known for. We, we told really, really compelling stories. I didn't come into Unreal 2 until like halfway through its development. So I didn't, you know, I didn't design a lot of the underpinnings. Um, that was, that was another guy, Mike Verdue, he, who was really, uh, really uh, fascinated with, with Unreal, really, you know, dug into that. But, but it hit a lot of challenges, you know, and actually working with basically three different clients was difficult. We had Epic on one hand who wanted, they were actually not on the hook for um, paying for it so they could say anything and they had final approval so they could say no it's not done for as long as they wanted and there were no there was no downside for them to say no it's not done and then there was infogram and they were paying for it and they had every intention of getting that thing out as quickly as possible and then we had well actually we had four because then there was legend legend had its own agenda obviously we wanted to make the the game that we saw and then there were the fans you know the fans wanted what they wanted, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, in some cases overlapped with what we wanted or what all the other three wanted. And then when I had, to, when I came in and took it over again, the last half of the development, I kind of had this project that I had to ship and I had to try to make all of those people happy. 
And so that was that was difficult. And actually, if you want to know the chaos, the sheer anarchy that I had to deal with getting that product shipped, go to mysterium.blog. And I have a write-up about all of this. So the behind the scenes, all the blood spilled, everything. <laughs> but on Unreal 2, on Wheel of Time, on Deathgate, on a bunch of, of the games that I worked on. And you'll also, uh, at mysterium.blog, you'll find information about my books, too. Okay, and there will be a link in the show notes for all that. Mm-hmm. So people can find that. Sounds good. Okay, it was just one of the things I was pulling up showed Unreal 2 is one of the last games that you worked on. Actually, after that, I went to, um, be, I was the creative director on Star Trek Online. Um, oh, for the then, more recent one? The only one. But I worked, I actually, well, I worked with Perpetual. I did a bunch of work on, on that product, but it eventually got transferred over to, what's the, the name of the, the MMO company that shipped a version of that? I can't, I can't remember. But they, they took a lot of our work, certainly a lot of our, uh, the developmental work that we had done, and then they, they made a version of it. Um, but I went to a company called uh, Super Ego when I worked on Rat Race, which was kind of a an episodic sitcom adventure game, which was pretty <laughs> cool. And that was for Sony. And then I um, ended up doing uh, some mobile titles. Oh, I, I did a, a game called Ravenshire Castle, which was a, a social game for Facebook, which was kind of awesome for social <laughs> games back then because this was the time of uh, of what were some of the games back then? Like Mafia Wars? Yeah, m- but not so much Mafia Wars. What was the the, the Invest in Express games? Uh, Farmville, Frontierville, th- those kind of games. So Zynga's, you know, mainstays. <laughs> and and I came into that world, and that's where all the money was. That's where all the game development was. So if you wanted a job, that's what you were going to do. But one of the, the uh, titles, actually, um, John Romero, and uh, he worked uh, on the first game uh, called Ravenwood Fair for lull apps and so i came in and i kind of had to do the sequel to that and uh and it turns out that the work that they had done just wasn't the direction that they really should go and so i came <laughs> up with something completely different from Ravenshire castle that i i won't go into the design but i loved it i i was i was prepared to change the landscape of social gaming and make it into real gaming and then the company went under which was you know after legend i thought you know i was at legend for 15 years I thought that's the way companies worked, but that's not the way companies work. <laughs> companies are around for a couple of years and then they go under. That's most of, uh, unless they're yeah. a huge studio that's around forever, that's what you find. And so they, that, that, that product limped its way over the finish line and was buggy. I would never have given my money to it, but it was beautiful. And the actual gameplay, which was... You build up your castle, and then you go and sneak around other people's castles and steal stuff, and then come back to yours. And if you get caught, then you yell out to your friends to come and save you. It was so <laughs> fun. It was so fun. I, I really loved that game. I remember those style of games. Yeah. And so, and then I went and I worked for um, another company, and I made some mobile titles, including a game called... It was, it was a Japanese company called K-Lab with a, uh, an American R. And there I made um, Crystal Casters, which was kind of a, of a gotcha type game. Are you, are you familiar with the term gotcha? I am. I played a, I played some. I don't play a lot of mobile games, but yeah, I'm very familiar with that. Like Fire Emblem right. is an example. And, and any, you know, Loot Crate is an example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but for a while, that is, that's the way pretty much all Japanese games work. And so, and, and I like being able to sort of spend money and make sure that you get something. You know, it, like a, if it's a power up, it's gone. You know, you... 
you've spent your money, you'll never see that again. But at least yeah. with a gotcha, you have something that's going to make your collection better. So I kind of enjoyed that. And then I made Glee. And Glee was based on the, the Fox show. And, uh, and that was a really challenging license because I'd never even seen it. But then I watched it and I found something to love about it. I love the music. I love the writing, honestly. And we created a game that was very true to the, to the source work, to the source material. And the, the audience, the, the fans of the show, loved the game. So I think I succeeded there, too. I didn't even know there was a Glee game for mobile until just now. <laughs> yep. I don't mess around with mobile too much. I've only had a couple mobile games that I played. Mario Kart I played a bunch of. And then Little Kingdom I played. Spent way too much money on at one point in my life. So. Well, I mean, mobile games, if you don't <laughs> see it when it's out and hot, then you're never going to see it because they just go away. It's yeah. not like the old games. You could find a box. You know, eventually a collector could even sell you a box. Um, but with mobile games, they're just off the server. And you'll never see them again. Little Empire, that's what it was called. What's that? Still, Little Empire was the game it was called that I used Little to that I spent okay. way too much money on at one time. <laughs> but it was the same idea. It wasn't power-ups that you bought. You bought heroes or you bought units that you couldn't get otherwise, like equipment. So it felt a little better when you were spending money. Right. <laughs> Just something that you used for one time and went away. So I completely, <laughs> I get where you're coming from with that. Yeah. And I'm assuming, but I want to ask anyway, have you read all the Wheel of Time books then? I actually haven't read all of them. I hit oh. the uh, I hit the sort of doldrums <laughs> where there was no wind, and and I I got lost at sea. I, I just couldn't get through it, and oh, I, I never understand. came back. I mean, I I regret it honestly. And one of these days, I will go back and finish them because I know that it it really picks up, and I think uh, Sanderson's work is very very well it's received. Very I want to see how it ends. But I just haven't been able to bring myself to to get through that stretch. It does. Ha- from what I remember, he did a he did a good job of wrapping up the story. He did connect everything, and everything makes sense of what was going on. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. stuff just falls off. Like he he, he explains the Sean Chan. He explains everything going on, and all and everybody kind of has their own place. And it it That's feels very impressive. Good. That's very impressive, honestly. From what I remember, I remember not. I remember being happy with the way. The ending worked, and where else, and how everything got wrapped up and understood. Because I remember I had so many questions in that in that series. Evidently, there were uh, there was a fair amount of notes about how Jordan wanted to finish it. That said, I don't know how much of that was what they told everybody because I've <laughs> been on the other side of that, where you know they're saying one thing to people, and then the actual developer has to sort of pick up the pieces. And so I give him a lot of credit, regardless of whatever notes he had. I give Sanderson a lot of credit for finishing up in a compelling way that fans are satisfied. Yeah, because it, it was a lot. <laughs> I mean, there was I remember some books being where it would split away from the main cast and then talk about other people for like a whole book. Like right. what one of the three main characters, Matt, disappears for like a I think a couple books, he's gone until randomly he just shows up again. <laughs> so <laughs> he does that. I yeah. remember that. I think he's gone like nine and ten or so. Like he just or eight or nine. He's gone for a little while. Where he just I forget he goes somewhere and you just you just forget about him for thousands and thousands of pages. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a favorite character in that series? Ah, oh, jeez. I know I, it's been a while. But. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't I don't know if it's meaningful for me to say anyone. I mean I could okay. I could say Rand, but who knows? I mean at this point, <laughs> I, I'd almost have to reread it to really get an opinion. Okay, no problem. Uh, I I did want to ask, what authors inspired you to get into writing? Probably a lot of the classic fantasy writers. And so, like, I can just look over at my, my shelf here. Stephen R. Donaldson, I was I was really influenced by The Covenant. 
series, Eddings, um, Terry Brooks, actually Piers Anthony or really early on was, um, was an influence in my teens. And that's one of the, one of the reasons that we did a Xanth game at legend because I was such a big fan of his early work because I went after him, but I didn't get the license. I didn't, it wasn't my license to make. Someone else took that on because I was doing Margaret Weiss and Trace Hickman's death gate. And I, I, and, you know, I don't consider myself to be, you know, a, a punny writer. So it's probably best I didn't do it because you really have to embrace puns if you're going to want to write in Xan. But one of the reasons that, um, that I decided we had done that game and I decided to go ahead and ask Piers Anthony if he wanted to read my book. And he immediately came back at, with, no, I, I've been reading too many books and I don't have time to write. And so, and even if I did, you probably wouldn't like what I had to say about it. So, cause I am an old curmudgeon and I, you know, I know this about myself. So, you know, just, just go away. I said, well, you know, can I send it to you? Just, you know, on the off chance you take a look at it. And he said, eh, fine. All right, whatever. <laughs> so I did. And the next day he writes back and said, okay, I couldn't put it down. And, uh, and he, and I have my review coming shortly. And I think within a couple of days, he had on his webpage, he posted a review that was some of the most glowing stuff I've ever heard. And this is my, my debut book. You know, nobody had really responded to it yet. And suddenly I had a cover quote from Piers Anthony. And it was, and, and the quote is, this is what fantasy fiction should be. And you can't get much better than that. No, that's really good. From an established New York Times bestselling author of one, and one of my childhood heroes. Uh, fantasy heroes here's anthem so that was kind of awesome that had to feel really good yeah i mean I yeah, can, yeah. I can Actually, understand. <laughs> that moment when i got that i almost fell over it's one of those you know <laughs> something just sort of grabs you and it's like is this real and the other was when when uh, I, I won this thing uh for that same book that's the that actual gold medal <laughs> from reader's favorite i mean you can hear it you, you, can't yeah. it. <laughs> you can hear it yeah, winning that was that that threw me for a loop too because again my debut novel and that's sort of setting the stage for everything to come and it sh- it showed that people really love that that world and those characters and I re- if you read the book you'll understand I I I intended that thing to be a one shot I blow up that world at the end and so turning it into a series was not obvious by any stretch and I never expected to but people liked the world so much and I liked being in it and writing in it that I sort of started experimenting and actually a few, a few edits that I made to that book enabled me to keep going. It opened up the world a little bit more. And so um, House of Prophecy is the result of all the thinking I had been doing about how to expand that world. And I'm, I'm excited to get that book out there. Okay. And that's your, the second book of this series, correct? So. Cause I, isn't the, yeah. ga- the war book, that's another or game of war. Is that another series or. So no, it's, it's a prequel to okay. Child of Chaos, but had I released them, I will probably would have made Game of War book one and Child of Chaos book two. That's how okay. connected they are, and that's how much House of Prophecy pulls on both of the books. You really have to read both. You don't have to, but you really should read both before you move on to House of Prophecy. That said, so uh, Game of War, um, the, the main character of Game of War is a priest of war and uh, he was a standout character in child of chaos and i meant originally meant it to be like sort of a you know a free reader magnet a small novella or something to pull people in 
but it, it turned out to be an even bigger book than Child of Chaos and really well received. I actually think that it's possible that it may win more awards um, than Child of Chaos because it's it's already won a couple. So so uh, I think I may end up going back to that to him in that world. So it might be good that it's its own thing. So I can do Game of War and then Game of War Two and you know do a few books in that series and then the Child of Chaos, the Chronicles of Chaos series. You know, moving forward with Galen, who's the main character. Okay. Yeah, I looked you up and I found you. It's not you're on Kindle. <laughs> yep. That's what pulled yeah. Amazon. Yeah, hey, both all of my books are on Kindle Unlimited. If you want, if you're part of Kindle Unlimited, you can read them for free. Okay. A lot of people probably are. I unfortunately don't. I never got into reading it in Kindle, but I've always meant to at some point. <laughs> but I know a lot of people do enjoy that. Uh, especially like um, voracious readers. You know, there's only so much books bookshelf space you've got. Yeah. And uh, sooner or later, you're going to start filling up boxes and put them somewhere. And it's I think it's better, actually, honestly, to have e-versions of those books. Unless you're a collector. Did you, you go through a regular covers if you're collecting? <laughs> oh yeah, those take those look nice but take up like you are right, take up so much space. That's why I sold a lot of my collection, which I regret now. Because <laughs> I was moving into a small apartment. But I mean I make the ebooks available on day one, but I get a lot of people who buy signed hardcovers from me. The people who actually really, really want to collect the books. And so, you know, that's that's a valid way to to, to get my series. Did you go through a regular publisher? For publishing this, I'm I'm uh, I'm indie. Okay, so you're self-published so I, then. I started out with a small press. I actually signed a contract with them, and this was right before COVID hit. And so while I was oh. waiting for all of their hoops to jump through in order to get Child of Chaos out, I actually started writing a Game of War and did a bunch of editing on my own. And then they decided that they were no longer going to do paper versions of books and you know for for an indie author one of the reasons that you do this is to hold your book in your hand you know and yeah. then to hand that book to someone who really wants to read it and then to see that book on bookshelves uh, bookstore shelves you know and if you don't get any of that if it's all about ebooks then it's all about a business and then when they said oh but wait if you want paper versions of your book we can deliver them to you at a premium price then I realized they were transitioning into a vanity press. And at that point I was done. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I can do this on my own. I don't need um, a small press, basically taking away a bunch of profits and taking away my rights in case I want to do something like a TV show or a movie or a okay. game. That doesn't make any sense if you're, if you're forking most of the bill over. Yeah. And they're not <laughs> small presses. Don't do very much. They don't really promote, which is the only reason to go with a publisher is, for promotion. Yeah. So, you know, I'm still not the best at marketing. I've got a lot to learn and I'll probably be saying that my entire life, but it's, I know more about it now than I ever did. And I'll always, you know, try new things to try to, to get the book out there. I'd rather do that than be tied to a a small press that isn't helping. Okay. The reason I asked, I have a friend of mine who, who is a a published author too, who I think he did the kind of same thing. Uh, It's called the fifth civilization. His name is Peter Bingham. And he published, self-published too that's why i was kind of curious yeah it's i mean at this point it's like i mean you see you know the quality of the book and this is print on demand at this point um so you don't have to do ten thousand units in order to get a quality version of the book and so with amazon and ingram spark and a few other potential presses out there there's really no reason not to do it yourself if you can 
sell direct to your customer. And so I'm, I'm really happy to be able to do that. And what we weren't there, you know, 10 years ago, the infrastructure just didn't exist to give indie authors a chance to produce their own product. And, you know, honestly, I love that. I was doing that for my dorm room. I was making games and, you know, copying them onto floppy disks and putting them into into the sleeves and sending them off to people. I love doing that kind of stuff. I think there's something special about when, you know, something you produce without the idea of just, you know, becoming filthy rich or being a corporation or something about when it's a single person. I mean, yes, I know corporation business have to make money, but this idea when somebody's doing it for the money and for the love of it, you get a different product, I think, too, a lot of times. With writing when, I was making, design. when I was making computer games, and the same holds true here, although it's not as obvious now, for me but when i was making computer games the thing that kept me moving forward the thing that kept me writing more games is when i found out that a kid asked for my game and the parent was buying it from me in order to put it under the christmas tree for that kid <laughs> and having that kid open it on christmas morning knowing that's the thing he really wanted and it was something that i made it was really cool. quite awesome <laughs> do you remember what game it was no, it was a. It happened many times. Okay. I mean, and especially as I got into PC games. I mean, making the adventure games and Wheel of Time. I mean, I reached a much bigger audience. I, but I, I have no idea, you know, if any of them ended up under the tree. <laughs> but when I was in, I mean, I was taking the orders when I was in college for my son dog, and so knowing that I, you know, and they told me, they tell me in the letter or, or you know, on the phone message that they may, were getting it for their son, or I'd go to. Um, to Rainbow Fest, which was a, the color computer convention, where I sold to people who told me that they were getting it for their children, <laughs> and that was just that was awesome. You know, it wasn't again, it wasn't about the money, although there was money to be made. It was about the fact that I made something for these people. I made something that they enjoyed, and it was you know, that, there's no better feeling. Than that. No, there's something I always go by. There's a Jason Mraz quote that I heard randomly on XM once where. His wife said something about where he wasn't feeling good. She's like, we'll create something. And I, I always think about that, especially when 2020 happened and the world went to shit, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I mean, I just really like I dived completely into my podcast and just creating that, even though like something, it, it has a different feeling. Like, so I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, there's something so great about knowing that you, I mean, you're creating more than what I was doing. But to know that to create something that's going to affect somebody's life in a way is, is amazing. And actually, that brings us around full circle to Wheel of Time. Again, I'm not making any money off a Wheel of Time, but the fact that it's reaching a new audience now, that other people can enjoy it, people who've never heard of the, of the books, people who've never heard of the game, who've never heard of me or Legend, now suddenly they have the opportunity to experience this for the first time. That's really cool. It, it's it's awesome. And, I, and, and hey, now I can make the, the joke, the wheel leaves, the wheel will, and maybe more people understand me with the show around. Because <laughs> I do say it randomly to people. I will. I have said it over time. And they'll look at me like, what the hell are you talking about? And every so often, somebody's like, I get your joke. That quote is in a uh, cutscene in the game. So uh, I just love that idea that fate is always linked together and that no matter, you know, no matter what happens here, world, the life will keep going on eventually. I mean, that's what the wheel time is kind of about. Like, if we, even if the bad guys win, everybody gets killed, eventually things will come back. Again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the only thing I want to ask you is what is your favorite genre of games? And do you have a favorite game? So I guess my favorite game right now would be Hearthstone. I've been playing it pretty much ever since it came out. Okay. And I play it usually at least once a day. It's just, it's, I used to play Magic a lot and I kind of, that dropped off the, the face <laughs> of the earth for me. I just didn't have the time and I couldn't keep up with, you know, all that you had to do in order to be well, keep changing. Magic. And, I can't. and so then when Hearthstone <laughs> came out, it basically said, okay, we're going to make this, we're going to smooth all the edges 
all the corners down and we're going to make it, you know, playable and take advantage of the fact that it's on a computer. So random things happen, you know, you can get a card that, you know, it doesn't end up in your collection, but you can because it's a computer game. And so all of the, you know, the creative need in me to play magic was satisfied with Hearthstone. So I keep playing it because it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of randomness and it's the kind of game that you can lose and say, okay, well, next time I'm going to beat you because the cards are going to come out in a different order, you know? So you always feel like mm-hmm. even if you lose, it's not because you have no chance. You always <laughs> have a chance. And so that's a lot of fun. And the other I love games, games that I play, and honestly, what's what's weird is I told you that the inspirations for Wheel of Time was Magic and Doom. Yeah. And now I'm playing Hearthstone and uh, Call of Duty, you know, Warzone. <laughs> and it's pretty much the same genre as, yes. uh, as I started with. Just very changed. I've never yeah. touched Hearthstone. I know a little bit about it, but I just, I used to be really big into magic physically and I spent way more money than I, and I, and after that, I just, I stopped and I've never yeah. touched another card game again. After that, so. Oh, that's a shame. So it burnt you out. Yeah, it, it really did. I was younger too, my, and I just, but I just kind of never got back to it. And Hearthstone was interesting. I mean, I've seen it before. I just never have taken the time out to try it. I'm very big about, it's got to be a game that I can play, finish, put away and then move on to the next game for me. Anything multiplayer online, I, I stay far away from. That's a shame because that's the, the landscape of the world now. Mm-hmm. Like that, <laughs> that is what games are. I mean, it's I games as a service rather than games as product. And so, yeah. Retro. Yeah, and I, I get that. I get that. But I also really, I was fascinated with the idea of, you know, multiplayer from the beginning and bringing people together an experience that they can continue to have over a long, long period of time. I mean, the fact that that Wheel of Time, as an example, you know, people play it to this day, I think is very, very cool. And it's, you know, it, yeah, I wanted to tell a story, but I also wanted to have an experience that people would just speak to people and that they could continue to play and, and find fun in and continue to get better. It was kind of interesting when I played, when I first started playing multiplayer, when it was out in the world, I was the best in the world, you know, and that was really cool. Nobody could beat me because I had played it so much before it released. And then three weeks after that, I started getting my ass handed to me. And I was like, ah, oh, now the real players have found this game and they've, dis- they've discovered things I had never un- even intended, which is the ultimate good design. If there's emergent gameplay that's coming out of the systems that I put together, that even, you know, strategies that I didn't anticipate, that's awesome. That's when you know that it's bigger than you. Okay. And the uh, last thing I wanted to bring up is I see that now you teach. What, what do you teach? Yeah. Well, I, I, I teach a computer, or uh, it's not computer, it's a game design class. Okay. Um, it's at UC Berkeley, and it's for international students that are looking to get into college. So it's right on the tail end of high school. And cool. I haven't taught it for the last couple of years because of COVID, unfortunately. Yeah. Huh. Um, but the period of time that I did teach, uh, it was awesome. I kind of had to figure out, I, I, I actually, they contacted me and, and asked me if I was interested. And I'm like, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm, <laughs> he said, no, no, that's fine. You know, we'll figure that out. And indeed I did. I figured out sort of how to make it less about computer games because that's sort of where they came from. The guy who did it before me taught computer games and everybody coded a game. And and to me, that's about fixing bugs more than it is about sort of the fundamentals of game design, you know, figuring out what your your inner loop is, you know, figuring out what the the way what inspires you to make that game and how you communicate it to other people you know, ways to tell stories within the game, those games and such. And so I ended up doing half of the of the course about what are the fundamentals and then the other half about 
let's develop something that's more of an idea, but fundamentally sound that you can communicate to other people. And the end of the course is them doing a presentation on their dream game. And what's, okay. what was cool for me is at the beginning, I would ask, you know, how many people actually would consider game design as a career? And maybe one hand would go up. But at the end, half of the hands went up. And that I consider to be a real success. I mean, that is any, anything from like teaching. I mean, I don't teach, but I'm, I'm a manager of different things. It's about connecting with people. I mean, there's, you know, if you can connect with people, you can be a good teacher. And the same thing, good manager. <laughs> That's what I believe, at least what, I, what I've seen personally and what. Well, and also you have to understand the material. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm coming from a place of I've made all the mistakes that uh, you could make. And so I can tell you about that. <laughs> and I can tell you sort of, you know, what's what do you need to focus on and what isn't? important. And I'll tell you, the first thing I do, the the first lesson is I take everybody out of the classroom, we go into a field, and I have a bunch of stuff. And I say, let's make a game right now. Let's figure out the rules, and then let's play it. And you know, nobody knows what to do. <laughs> everybody just sort of looks at things and just, says, okay, well, how about if I hit him with this? And I, and I say, okay, well, you know, let's, let's establish, you know, maybe this is a board, a, a game board. Maybe this is, you know, sort of a, a backyard kind of game. You know, what kind of things do we want to achieve? What are our, our goals? What are our obstacles to how to, to achieve those goals? And, and the thing that I tell, I, I have a, a, a Brad Bird story. It's not a story about Brad Bird. It's a story <laughs> that he told at a presentation, which is a producer goes into a theater where, there's this musical that he's in charge of. But everybody in the theater is just standing around doing nothing. The dancers are just wandering, talking to each other. The musicians are just you know, smoking a cigarette. And he goes up to the choreographer and he says, what the hell's going on? Nobody's doing anything. How are we going to be ready? And he goes, I don't know what to do. And the guy, the producer says to him, just do something so we can change it. And that's the basis of almost every creative endeavor is just do something. Just start. And then it will eventually evolve into the thing that you want. But if you never get started, you'll never get to that. So everything is about evolution. Everything is about editing. And that's true. I use that Brad Bird story when talking about writing, too. It's because if you don't make a first draft, then you'll never make it to where it needs to be. You'll always think, well, it's not good enough. You know, I can't write it because I, I suck. It's okay to suck. It's okay to suck initially because eventually it'll get better. Yeah. When I was younger in high school, I, I wrote a novel. Unfortunately, I don't have it anymore, but I, I did go through the whole, and I remember doing that where I would go and rewrite and edit and just, and every time you went back to it, it improved so much as you see what you didn't like. It's not just about the writing specifically, um, for me anyway, um, because normally I can, I can write pretty well. I mean, I've got the grammar down and that, that's not a problem. The thing is, I, it's, and it's about that way for game design too. You learn as you're making it, you discover what's fun. You discover what the themes are, what the characters are. Maybe the characters take you in a direction you didn't expect. So your outline is only good. You know, the plan is only good until it meets the enemy. And then you find out where you fail. But then you also find out where you succeed. And so in a game, if you don't capitalize on what's fun, then you are doing a disservice to the experience. And in the book, if you don't figure out where your themes are coming out or, or where those characters want to take the, um, the story, which is better than what you originally <laughs> thought, which ha absolutely happens all the time. Oh, yeah. And you don't take advantage of that, then you're doing a disservice to the story. So the first draft, I think Neil Gaiman is the one that said that. First draft is for you. It's, ba it's basically your outline. Second draft is what the story should have been when you started <laughs> writing the first draft. Third draft is, you know, getting it all polished up by an editor. 
And the fourth draft is what you end up releasing. Okay. That's pretty cool. Neil Gaiman is a hell of a writer too, though. <laughs> so. yeah, he's he's absolutely one of my one of my heroes. He's I've I've read some of his comics and very, very good stuff. I have a signed death number one from him. He he came to Manassas, Virginia, a comic book store, and uh, and I managed to meet him there. That was pretty cool. You know, I I didn't meet him when he was at one of the conventions I went to, but I I didn't go up and meet him and have him sign it. Uh, that's a shame. I didn't bring, I didn't know he was going to be there, so I didn't bring any of my any of my books. So I didn't do anything. <laughs> I tried doing it now. I'm better at meeting people that for like whenever certain authors come to things, I'll go and get something signed. I try to. And last thing I want to go out on is where can people find your book at? So I'm on Amazon. And so you can find just search under Child of Chaos or Chronicles of Chaos. However, I would definitely push people to go to Mysterium.blog. I, it gives you a link to my web store, which is, you don't have to remember this, but it's MysteriumMerchandise.BigCartel.com. Um, but there's a link there to go right to it. There I sell not only paperbacks and the hardbacks signed, and uh, but I also sell box copies of Wheel of Time. So uh, these are unopened. Yeah, and they and they are signed as well. And I I get more interest in that than you might uh, might suspect. Um, it's it's a classic at this point, and some people there are collectors who really really want them. So that's people kind of- love big box games. I have found out. <laughs> I am not true. one of them, but people <laughs> love that. I have no nostalgic for PC really in that of that era. I was playing Super Nintendo and Nintendo and Genesis and PlayStation 1. That's that's my nostalgic. I actually still sell the old Sundog games, the old Coco Sundog games. So there are still people out there with Cocos as well. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> and there will be a, a link in the show notes to find your to find your website and your books. And I want to thank you again for taking time out to join to talk with me. All Absolutely. It was great. Classic Gamers Guild, where we met. <laughs> yeah. A, a right. really good Facebook group. I'm, I'm friends with the, the, the well, a bunch of people in that, a bunch of the admins in that group. And if you enjoyed this content, we have tons of other episodes we've done for you. We've done over 300 episodes we have. We cover games, movies, comics. We do interviews. So definitely go check all that out. You can follow, you can find us on Podbean, Podbean if you're looking for all the old episodes. Otherwise, find us wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give a shout out to my awesome intro and outro, courtesy of Helena at Hell Hasphere. You can follow her on TikTok. And I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Bill Tucker, who did all the who did the MCU roundup with me. So definitely go check that out. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, but only audio, but we are on YouTube. So, and again, thank you again for joining me, Glenn. And if you enjoyed what you heard, go check out his books. Go check out his content that he has. And go play Wheel of Time. You can go buy it on GOG, just because it's, it's still cool. And it's Wheel of Time. Go read the damn books in Wheel of Time, too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, and we will see you guys all next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.